Welcome to Life Over Coffee. We're doing life over our coffee. If you don't drink coffee, we can call it Life Over Tea. But however you do life, thank you so much for joining me, Rick Thomas, for this podcast. This is episode 146. I have a friend, and that's how we start a lot of our correspondence. But no, this is true. I I have a real friend, and it's not me. We were having this discussion last week, and I want to share with you some of the things that I shared with him because he said it was helpful to him, and as I reflected upon our conversation afterward, I thought, well, you know, I think this would be helpful for a lot of people. This is going to be a difficult podcast for many of us, especially if you are in a marriage that is troubled, if you're in a difficult marriage. And that's something that we interact with all the time. The idea that I want to share with you in this podcast, it's going to really be hard, but it is real. And it's something that we need to think about. We need to give time reflecting upon this idea. The idea is a different kind of happy ever after marriage. The majority of passages in the Bible that talk about marriage say explicitly or imply personal responsibility. What I mean is you have to work hard at your marriage, but your effort does not mean you'll get a Disney-esque happy ever after marriage, a promise that is not taught in Scripture. Now, I know that flies in the face of all the young people in the world who get married. They meet each other, start liking each other, fall in love, whatever that means, and they get married. And I suspect that nearly all of them have happy ever after in view when they get married. But the Bible does not teach that. It does teach work, but it doesn't teach that it's going to be happy ever after. This is episode 146. If you want to read these thoughts, you're welcome to do that. Go to episode 146, the title, A Different Kind of Happy Ever After Marriage, and you're welcome to read this podcast. I would love for you to do that. If you want to talk about this podcast, you can do that as well. Go to our website, and you can get on our free community forum. There's no cost for that. You will have to have a username and a password. And once you get your username and password, you can jump on our forum and ask any question that you wish. We have people doing that every day, and our team is ready, willing, and able to respond to you. And it's our joy and privilege to do so. Our free community forum is brought to you by our supporting members, those people who value what we do, and they support us for as little as $5 a month or $50 a year and anything above that. You're welcome to do that, too. If you're not a supporting member, let me appeal to you, encourage you. Please help us. The more people that are helping us, the more people we can reach, and we're reaching millions now globally around the world, and we have a lot more ideas that we would love to implement. In fact, I just received an email five minutes ago where a gentleman was asking, hey, and he put, (laughs) there were some all caps in his request. He said, hey, would you put your new books in uh, Audible, audio format, and It it sounded like a demand, and we're going to respond graciously to him. But I was thinking, well, you know, 
first of all, that's already on our list of things to do. Rarely does someone suggest anything that we haven't thought about. Our problem is not the ideas. I have a ton of ideas. In fact, we're getting ready to launch our fifth gen website here very soon and we have a bunch more things that we want to implement but it's not an idea shortage that we are struggling with it's a financial shortage and we're not going to go in debt regardless of the requests that are that come into us and i do thank you for the request i thank you for the ideas it means that you value our ministry and it means you want to see our resources in formats that that's meaningful and practical and helpful for you and we want to accommodate we want to accommodate every person that comes to comes to our ministry but accommodation means money and so if you really like our stuff if you like it and value it then i want you to join us that you partner with us and you help support us and if you will help support us i promise you one we will not go in debt but two we will implement more things for you now, with that in mind, we have two books in paperback now that you can uh, get. They're on Amazon, and they'll ship, it, ship them to your door. One book is called Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. That is the book that my friend was wanting in Audible, in audiobook format. Well, you can get it in paperback. You can also get it in Kindle, and you're welcome to do that. Go to Amazon, uh, get Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. This is the book from our ministry that walks you through the transformation process. And then the second book is called Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. In Job 3.25, Job said, The thing that I have feared has come upon me. Suffering is a gift from the Lord. It's also our calling, as we learn in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. But how to steward God's most feared blessing is a challenge for all of us. I have a very important book for you, about 200 pages, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most, most Feared Blessing. You can get both of those books on Amazon, and they will be glad to ship them to your door. Let's talk about something difficult here. Episode 146, A Different Kind of Happy Ever After Marriage. These are the ideas that I shared with my friend last week, and I want to share with you now. And, of course, you're welcome to share this podcast with anyone that you would like. Just send them the link and have them to uh, give a listen it appears that the majority of the Christian culture believes like our secular culture, that marriage should be different from a sweat-of-your-brow mentality. I think all of us know that there is work involved, but the work is different than what you may believe. If you haven't been married before, I guarantee you it is different from what you are thinking, and it's more intense uh, it's more consistent, meaning there will never be a moment, there will never be a day where you will not have to work at your marriage. In fact, if you do not work hard at your marriage, it will not go well. But unfortunately, through the inculcation of this Disney-centric worldview that we train our children in, and I'm not dissing the movies, the movies are great, most of them are great, and, and we 
enjoy watching them. But if you're not careful, if you don't guard your heart against some of the things that you take in from the culture, you can start believing that as they become your worldview. And when it comes to marriage, we can, even though we don't overtly say or explicitly say, rather, that we believe in a Disney-centric worldview, you can assess yourself on this matter. All you have to do is measure the level, the level of disappointment that you have towards your spouse. The level of disappointment that you have towards your spouse will give you an indication as to what you think about your marriage or what your marriage should be. Here's the bad news, and it's hard for me to be critical and, and, and negative because that's not the kind of person that I am, but I, I live in a profession, I live in a lifestyle where everybody, virtually everyone that comes to me is, is struggling, and there are clear reasons for that, and so therefore I do have to say some, some difficult things. But there are virtually no passages in the Bible that proffer a happy ever-after worldview in the way that most people think about that perspective. There are virtually no passages in the Bible that proffer a happy ever-after worldview in the way, I'm talking about marriage here, in the way that most people think about that perspective. But the Bible is full of passages that talk about sin, imperfection, obedience, one anothering, sacrifice, cross-carrying, carrying, and walking in the suffering steps of our Jesus. Of Jesus, I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 21. For this you have been called, as Jesus left you an example to walk in his steps, and then Peter lists some of the steps of Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Persecution, suffering, hardship. He, he finishes talking about Jesus committing himself to him who judges justly. And then the passage transitions to chapter 3 where it says, Likewise, depending on your Bible, but there's a conjunction there. And grammatically, we know that a conjunction joins. It connects two thoughts. It connects the previous thought with the succeeding thought. The previous thought is you're called to suffer. And then the next thought is, wives, if your husband is not willing to be obedient, winning without a word and, and all of that, and then it continues that down to 3-7 where he opens that sentence with likewise, another conjunction. And so what Peter is doing in this passage is interesting to me that when Peter talks about suffering, and he knew a ton about suffering, but when he talks about our calling being a path, a lifestyle, a worldview of suffering, when he connects it, when he uses his conjunctions, he connects it to marriage. For the wife first, he leads into, and then to the husband. 
Now, I think that is not only interesting, but it is instructive. And if you're about to get married, then you really need to listen up. And if you are married, well, you need to listen as well. Because if you have this worldview of happily ever after, you're going to be in the deep weeds of trouble with your marriage because that is not the perspective the prescription that the Bible gives you when you choose to go into a covenant with another person. Now, though there does not have to be anything wrong with what's in it for me, and I'm not saying that you you should set aside your desires as, as far as what's in it for me, but you will be set up for significant disappointment if that is the first thing that you're looking for in a mate, the benefits of marriage, what's in it for me, are always secondary to the other-centered work. And that other-centered work, that other-centered sacrifice is non-negotiable. If you're going to enjoy the benefits of the marriage, the secondary things, then the first primary things is the work that you have to put into it. Christ came primarily to give, not to get. Christ came to transform individuals. Christ came to serve, not for you to serve him primarily. Christ came to die for the benefit of others. Now, if you're going to be Christ-like, now, you're probably hearing all of the verses, all the times that Christ talked about denying yourself, taking up your cross, dying to yourself, come and follow me. Well, if you're going to be Christ-like in your marriage, here are four things that you will have to do. Primarily give, not primarily get. You are called to transform individuals. And, of course, in this case, you want to cooperate with God in the ongoing transformation of your spouse, whether you are the man or the woman, the husband or the wife. Wife, you are called to cooperate with God in the transformation of your husband, even though you are submitted to him. Third thing, Christ came to serve. So you are called to serve, not to be set up in a marriage context where the primary, your primary objective is for your spouse to serve you. And then the fourth thing, Christ came to die. And if you're going to be Christ-like, then you have to have that same idea in mind. You come to die for the benefit of others, sacrifice for the benefit of others. Now, there are many other texts speak to the other-centered direction of the gospel's activity. In fact, there are over 30 one-another texts in Scripture. The force of the gospel is always moving away from you toward the other individual. The most popular text in the Bible, I think, John 3.16 gives us this other-centered direction of the gospel's activity. For God so loved the world. You see the direction of that text. God is the subject. Love is the verb. And the world is the object. You see the direction there. 
There are many texts that speak to the other-centered direction of the gospel's activity. This kind of life is what God is calling you to emulate. Your marriage will never be satisfying if your first thought is what you get out of it. And I know I've done a, a good bit of marriage counseling, and the, those, a lot of these young couples, but not just young couples, older couples, who are getting married again or getting married for the first time, but a lot of these individuals within this, these couple contexts, even if they don't say it explicitly, you still sense this notion of what they get out of it, the benefit that they're going to get. Your long-term and consistent call to action must be what you're going to put into your marriage. I cannot overstate this. When you have a self-focused marriage, you will be more in tune with your spouse's inadequacies because the union is more about you and what you can get out of it. That's why I said earlier that you, can, you measure your disappointment in the marriage. If you measure or assess the amount of disappointment you have in your marriage, it will tell you where your focus is. When you have an other-centered focus, you will see the same deficiencies but you'll mobilize more quickly to come alongside your spouse to make him or to make her better. Now, that kind of attitude and action has the gospel in view. See, here's the common denominator in your spouse. There are inadequacies. There are deficiencies. But how you look at those inadequacies and deficiencies and how you respond to them will depend upon your primary perspective, primary worldview, your presupposition about that marriage. If you're self-focused, those inadequacies are going to ensnare you and you will be captivated by disappointment. But if you are other-centered. If you have the gospel in view, you'll see the same inadequacies, the same def deficiencies, but instead of being bitter or angry, responding that way, you will mobilize, like Christ mobilized to come alongside us. The gospel came to us. Christ, as our first missionary, left his place, came to our place to take on the form of a servant so that he could transform us back into Christ's likeness. That is the heart of what marriage is about. And depending on which side you are standing on this deficiency thing and inadequacy thing, will it will determine how you're going to respond to your spouse. If you're on the side of self-focus, if that is where you put the accent mark in your marriage, then guess what? You're going to be disappointment. You're going to grow in bitterness. You're going to be unforgiving. You're going to retaliate. You'll have vengeance on in mind, and you may even leave the marriage. But if you're on the other side of inadequacy and deficiency, where you have the gospel in view, you're going to mobilize and you're going to seek to be transformative. And if your first response is transformative activity, there will be future benefit that will loop back to you. That's why I was saying earlier that you, you don't want to set aside the benefit and say, oh, no, I'm not going to get any benefit out of marriage. No, you can get benefit in marriage but it will be proportional to the work that you put into it. It is an exceptional thing for young couples to think this way. It is the best thing for young couples to think this way, because if you go into 
marriage with a Christocentric work ethic in view, and then when those deficiencies pop up, by the way, they will pop up, oh, I would say within five minutes after you say I do, within 24 hours on the honeymoon, within the first week of your marriage, by the time the first month is done, you'll have a short list, maybe a long list of inadequacies. But if your first response is transformative activity as newlyweds, then you won't have this accumulative trauma effect because here's what happens. Uh, There will be couples that will be 5, 10, 15 years in marriage, and and now the gospel comes in view at that point, and they begin to uh, reorganizing their their lives individually and reorganizing their marriage around this gospel-centric idea that I'm communicating. But by that time, the accumulative effect of so much water under the bridge, so so much disappointment, so many hurtful things have been said, and it's a lot harder— 10, 15 years into a marriage, though it can be done. You can get the help that you need if both spouses are willing to set aside, that's the big idea in the gospel, set aside what's in it for me and say, I'm going to mobilize my soul, I'm going to cooperate with God, and I'm going to help my spouse to become that person that he or she needs to be. But it is an exceptional thing for couples, and especially young couples, to think this way. They like what they like about the other person because the main thing that the future partner is looking for are the things that they want. That's why Lucia fell in love with me, because I was drop-dead gorgeous and had a head full of hair, and my tummy didn't stick out, and I was just amazing in so many exceptional ways, and she fell in love with me because of all these reasons, and then she brought him home, and then she married him. Oh, my. But fortunately, she had she was more gospel-centered than I was. And the reason that these young couples experience so much disappointment, the reason their disappointment accelerates after marriage is that their spouse's inadequacies interfere with the things that they like. You know, if they understood the doctrine of total depravity, they would not only guard their hearts against disappointment, but they would mobilize like Jesus to bring soul care to that person so sin does not abound and sin does not accumulate in the marriage. When you sweep so many things under the rug, after the while, the rug turns into a mountain. It's the wise farmer always working the garden because he knows that without his preemptive and proactive care, the weeds will come and there will be no harvest. If you sit back on your rear end thinking, what's in it for me? Well, what's going to be in it for you is a lot of weeds, a lot of heartache. you got to get out there and tend the soil move the stumps, the rocks, weed the garden, plant. you got to do it every day. Every spouse comes into their marriage with varying degrees of brokenness, imperfection, and personality quirks. There is no other option but to marry a fallen person. This is episode 146, titled A Different Kind of Happy Ever After marriage. I built a strong negative case. I want to wrap up by giving you two final things to consider. Uh, 
Two scenarios, two scenes. Scene number one. It is possible that your primary purpose for marriage is to help your spouse untangle from their problems. God is calling you to do this until death comes to dissolve your marriage. There are many illustrations of individuals in the Bible who spent their whole lives laboring under unchangeable situations, and they girded their attitudes by keeping an eye on the real price. In fact, I would encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11. There are a lot of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who never got that happy ever after in this life. And so here's the thing that I want you to consider. It is possible that your primary purpose for marriage is to help your spouse untangle from their problems. That you marry a broken person and you spend the next 60 years of your life helping that person to become a better person. That's your job. You don't get these wonderful, happy ever after benefits that a lot of us think about and most of us want. That you never get that that you spend your entire life helping a broken person to slowly, incrementally be transformed into Christ-likeness, and your job, is, your job in marriage is just work. That's all that it is, and there's very little of that, that feel-good in the sense that people think about what a marriage should be. And again, I would ask you to read Hebrews 11, and that will give you... Uh, an idea of people who spent their entire lives laboring for God, for His glory, for His fame, but they didn't get the, the riches, and they didn't get personal fame. They didn't get the gratification, the things that gratif- gratify us in this life. It may be possible that God is calling you to that kind of marriage as scene number one. Scene number two, it is possible that your marriage is is for you to do what I said above, to labor hard uh, to help your spouse change, and your spouse begins to change. In the first scenario, I was sharing with you the enjoyment of a job well done will be in heaven. In the second situation here, you may experience the satisfying fruit of your labor on earth, but it's not a guarantee. There are no other biblical options for marriage but the two that I just presented to you. Both of them require work. Some of them you'll see change in your spouse. Others will not. If you want to experience a peace that transcends your understanding and a joy that is unspeakable, you must think through these things and make the necessary adjustments in your life. It could be that God has called you to a marriage, that your job is to work and help a broken person to somewhat transform in this life, and that is what your job is. If, if you have predetermined that I'm going to be happy in this marriage regardless, well, you may be set up for a lot of disappointment and your marriage may not last Now, I want to make one major caveat to this podcast, and I want you to listen carefully here. Some marriages have deteriorated to such a place that one or both of the spouses are abusive. If your marital relationship is in that place, you must find help immediately. I am not saying in any sense, under any circumstances, are you to stay in a marriage that is abusive. You need to get help, and you need to get help immediately. 
this podcast is for couples who have yet to become so toxic that they don't need that kind of intervention. Your marriage may be hard. It may be burdensome. It may be trouble. It may be disappointing. It may be frustrating. It may be difficult. Those are the kinds of marriages that I'm talking about. And you have to rethink about your purpose for marriage. But as long as you put happily ever after out there as the main thing and the only thing that's going to make you happy, then you have a wrong view of marriage. Marriage is work. But again, there's a caveat here. If your marriage has moved to the place to where it is abusive, then you need intervention, whether it's uh, civil authorities that you need to call the law because there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, some kind of abuse going on. You need to get pastoral church involvement, but you need to get somebody involved. I'm not calling you to, or I'm not suggesting that you put yourself under that kind of abuse, but I'm talking about regular, run-of-the-mill, horrible marriage and too many of us have the wrong focus because we've set up this idea of marriage that what's in it for me, happily ever after, and until my spouse becomes... In fact, one lady told me that one time. She said, I don't care about this suffering thing. All I want is my husband to love me a certain way, and until he does that, I will not be happy. Well, that's idolatry. She has the wrong worldview when it comes to marriage. Episode 146, this can be a can of worms, open up a lot of questions for you, but we're not going to leave it at that. We're going to serve you. So if you have a question, please come to our website. We would love to chat with you. Episode 146, a different kind of happy ever after marriage. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know how we can come alongside, and we'll be glad to do that. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.